Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, everybody? It's the Power Rankings Podcast, a.k.a. the Power Rankings Show. I'm your host, Elliot Harrison, and I'm pleased to be joined, as always, by at Marcus underscore Mosher. How are you, sir? Doing well, Elliot. How are you doing today, sir? I, um, I'm doing actually quite well. Uh, I was enjoying talking offline with you about some John Candy movies that were absolutely amazing. But I was it Uncle Buck, the one where he drives like the real POS car. Funny and story. My mom and I, are, we watched that movie on Sunday afternoon together. It was so good. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Buck. What was it on? Like TNT? A- no, movies? it was on the AMC. Like movies? It was AMC. It was so good. There's so many quotable lines from that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what's the one where he goes, takes his family on like the beach vacation? Uh, oh, I. Uh, I don't know. Golly, I can't think of it now. Okay. This before is before he got huge, because he did vacation, National Lampoon's Vacation, mm-hmm. when he was the security guard. When he goes, sorry, folks, parks closed. Yep. Uh, and then like Uncle At Buck, I, yeah, yeah, Uncle Buck was like a year and a half later. And then there was uh, planes, trains, and automobiles was like eighty seven and then uh the great outdoors was around eighty seven. I mean he did like a series of movies in this summer finite rental. amount of time. Summer rental. I got it. Summer rental, yes, that's it. That's it. But that's before he became big time. Now he was he was, you know, getting there. Um I, I would just assume that your favorite John Candy movie is Spaceballs. Now he did that was eighty eight. See, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's another one. What's the one? Oh, and then Home Alone. Remember, he was the leader yeah. of the the, the, the polka polka polka. Yeah, the Polish polka band. <laughs> yeah, um, you know. Uh, oh man. Okay. I don't know what my favorite John Candy movie is. I'm gonna have to really think about that. But yeah, Spaceballs. He was half man, half dog. He was Mog. Yeah. <laughs> I and think, he, he's also in Stripes. We can't forget about Stripes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, but I mean, he was he was genuinely concerned when they ran into Pizza the Hut. Okay, um, so uh, on to football matters. Uh, so obviously, it's the off season. We are in the throes of the off season. I asked Marcus, "Do you want to talk about some topical news?" Marcus goes, "No." <laughs> that was the conversation, pretty much. And then he dribbled on about something about Baker Mayfield, and well, that was. You, you did ask me if I wanted to talk about anything. I did watch an old game today that I wanted your thoughts on just really quickly. Are, are you good sure. for this? 
Uh, I watched Cowboys Dolphins nineteen ninety nine the Thanksgiving game. Uh, it was oh. Marino and Aikman's first game back after both of those guys had injuries. Yeah, so Jason Garrett played for Aikman that year a little bit. Um, that was really the beginning of the end for Dan Marino. He looked awful in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he just couldn't get the ball down the field. Uh, I think he was having some I mean, a shoulder problem or what it was. But early in '99, Marino looked really good. He had a he had a crazy duel with the young Peyton Manning uh, in Miami, and he he you know, and then man, somewhere he just hit the wall, you know. But that was year 17 for him, so. Yeah, he was old. He was old. Uh, by the way, Dexter Coakley, two interceptions in that game. Just wanted to point that out. I was going to ask you. I remember one of them. Marino tried to get the ball out there. It was horrifically underthrown, and and Coakley intercepted underneath. And Jimmy Johnson, who was Miami's coach at the time, just looked at Marino like, "The heck was that?" Uh, I, I, the reason I remember that so well is I had just moved to um, L.A., and uh, my buddy had also just moved here from Dallas. And I mean, just moved like this was like a week after we moved that game and you were watching it at, uh, you know, somebody's house and they were showing, you know, how they always show the aerial view of like downtown, wherever you're at. Mm-hmm. We both got so homesick, you know, when, as soon as we saw the aerial view, because we didn't want to be in L.A. for Thanksgiving, yeah. you know, like you want to be in you want to be home with your, with your tofu, turkey and all that kind of I, I listen, I get it. Oh boy, here we go. Here comes the old the old rural flyover Glute, state. Gluten free mashed on potatoes. The, uh, yeah. Dogging on the LA crowd. <laughs> listen, you the told LA me crowd much... comes back with their demeaning chats about your state. Listen, you told me how much Thanksgiving sucks in uh, LA. Yeah, so that's it's, it's fine. Uh, man, I uh there are a lot of things to like about Los Angeles, but Thanksgiving ain't one of them, you know. If I could Frankenstein Texas and California, I would. There's so many things I like about both. Um, and there's things that are annoying about both. That's the way it goes. But, uh, you know, people appreciate your your uh, rural superiority over all the heathens in L.A., I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> we just have good sweet potatoes here. That's, you know, that's the difference. Yeah, I know. I know. You guys think that, that people on the West Coast have no uh, no character and... People think in LA think everyone that lives in a rural area like goes goes to work on horseback. I mean, it's just <laughs> so ridiculous. Like, gosh, I wish I could just get people together and go. Like, everything y'all think about each other is so off, you know. So, can we talk about Matt I Rule more? What's that? Can we talk about Matt Rule, please? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say. I was gonna say. There's nothing I love more than the political dissension too. I love it so much. <laughs> And then I was going to say, but you know something that Marcus and I had no dissension on, none, like zero, is we ranked the coaches uh, this week. You know, I told you guys that we were going to do something that dealt with all 32 teams every Tuesday with Brinks and with our rundown. And uh, this week I wanted to do the coaches. And Marcus and I, when it came to picking the 32nd coach, how long did we debate that? Uh, Not long at all. I would say 2.8 seconds. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Yeah. So we're going to rank the coaches today because Marcus is lazy. He doesn't want to talk about news or keep track of anything, which I should say before we get into the coaches. Look, 
whoever's playing third down plays in minicamp for a team at running back is not news. It's so silly. So-and-so dropped five balls in minicamp practice. I mean, this has absolutely nothing to do with what's going to be happening in the regular season in October. It's just people are so desperate for clicks and likes. Oh, my gosh. Does it not drive you a little crazy? Yes, partly because... I don't think the beat writers always know what they're looking for, right? We've been suckered into these guys all the time that, hey, they look really good in minicamp and training camp, and then you get to the season, and they might not even be on the team because they don't really know what they're looking for, right? They're just looking for guys that have good athleticism or good speed, but that stuff doesn't necessarily really matter in the actual regular season. So I'd take every bit of news that you get from minicamps, OTAs, training camps with a grain of salt because – the person watching might not even know what they're really watching. Yeah, and I don't, I'm not going to get into all the reasons why some of what you're seeing is, doesn't mean that that's where the guys are going to play. Sometimes they need work, but I don't want to waste valuable time on our podcast discussing that. But uh, yeah, as Marcus says, take it all with a grain of salt. <clears throat> I would also take our rankings of the coaches with a grain of salt because I wouldn't. Uh, I think we're great here. I, these are the best <laughs> rankings we've done. The, the good thing is there's like literally no disagreement for us across the board here. So this I, is these are very little. Best. Yeah, I, very little. I would say at most like two ranking spots, three ranking spots that we disagreed. So we did these together. So this isn't Marcus's list. It's not my list. It's our list. Let us know what you think. We'll start at 32 on the way down. Uh, if you're watching along on YouTube, you see the Panthers graphic. It's Matt Rule. Um, it, it just seems like, you know, Marcus, I know you've been saying, like, I don't know that I would give him a young uh, hotshot quarterback to work with. Um, I know they haven't got that position right, but some of that has to fall on the head coach. Yep, they're in year three of the Matt Rule rebuild, and they are, worse, they are in worse shape than they were when he took over. That's typically not a good sign of a coach, a good coach. You almost want the Teddy Bridgewater Panthers back. Oh, yeah, they were more really competitive than this, this team that we yeah. see. Yep. Uh, got the Minnesota Vikings with their new head coach uh, up next. This might be a little unfair, but Marcus, you know, our list, we're backloaded with a lot of the rookie head coaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kevin O'Connell's tough because he's coming from the Sean McVay coaching tree, but we know Sean McVay calls the plays there. Not out on Kevin O'Connell at all. It's just we have to wait and see. So Houston Texans is one of our diversions from this. This is not a team with a rookie head coach. Uh, I should say it's Lovey Smith, in case you don't know who the Texans head coach is. And because uh, I just realized I didn't even mention the Vikings head coach's name. I just said the Vikings head coach. That's when you know you're at 31. <laughs> That's what I said. You know, the Vikings head coach. Uh, Lovey Smith. Now, I lobbied for him to be a little bit higher than this, but Marcus presented his recent college football coaching. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Marcus, please. Uh, yeah, he's been a, a head coach in the NFL or in college for the last seven years or seven to the last eight years, and they've never won more than six games, no matter where he's been, whether that's at Illinois, whether that's at Tampa Bay, or whether, you know, uh, Chicago at the end of the career. So just, I, I'm not buying Lovey Smith as a good coach in today's NFL. I would just like to point out with Lovey Smith, that he got the Bears to the playoffs several times. Uh, it was not a popular uh, him leaving Chicago. I mean, they were 10 and sixes last year. Their defense was outstanding. They scored like nine touchdowns on defense that year. Talk about the 2012 Bears. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a little, a little too low for him, but we'll talk about him juxtaposed with number 29. Another veteran coach, Robert Sala, 
I thought we could have swapped these. I just didn't see a lot of improvement from the Jets last year. Not the way I saw from, say, the Lions. Um, are we being too hard here? Maybe. I, I do think Saleh is one of these up-and-coming head coaches that I, I'm really interested in because I thought at the end of the season they were playing better. They you know, they nearly beat Tampa Bay. Uh, was it Buffalo? They or The Bengals that they beat early in the season? Yeah. They were actually better when Zach Wilson didn't play. Like, if you give them a competent quarterback like Joe Flacco was, like, they, they were pretty competitive. So I just want to see what they look like with Zach Wilson here in U2. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about it, too. They had a great draft. I think most people felt that way. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what they can do as well. Uh, at 28, we've got one of our rookie head coaches, Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, his father had some pedigree in the NFL with the 49ers and Cowboys as a uh, offensive assistant, offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, Nathaniel Hackett, I I don't know what to think of this, but I, I will tell you this. I think Russell Wilson and the strength of that secondary could make him look really good. Yeah, he's a tough one because how do you rank the offensive coordinator for the Packers who doesn't call plays because it's mm-hmm. Matt LaFleur? But I actually really like what he did in 2017 with Blake Portals in, in Jacksonville. I thought that offense was pretty good, and they were good in the playoffs too, like against the Steelers and against the Patriots. They were able to find ways to move the ball. I'm optimistic about the Thunder Hackett. Yeah, I wonder if it could be end up being Joe Philbin 2.0, Sands a major franchise quarterback. Now, Philbin, I believe Tannehill was still the quarterback then when he took over. Um <clears throat> Yeah, I, this may be unfair, but we're not going to be putting the rookie head coaches up near the top. So in that vein, we go to 27, Matt Eberflus. I like the hire. I like the Bears hiring a defensive-minded guy because I kind of like that as the Bears culture. But in today's modern NFL, where there's so much player movement. I don't know that franchises have a historical culture anymore. How do you think Matt Eberflus fits in there? Yeah, this is a complicated one, and we talked about it when they hired him, but I, I thought the Bears needed to get somebody that they could tie together with Justin Fields for the next yeah. three or four years. Um, they didn't do that, but I still like Eberflus. Like his defenses have been good wherever he's gone. Uh, they play really fast. They're pretty physical. We'll see. Um, again, I, I just like Eberflus. I'm just not sure this is the best situation for him. Yeah, it wasn't a great look for the Colts at the end of last year, losing to Jacksonville, although it seems like Carson Wentz and the offense shouldered a lot of that blame, yeah. not not Eberflus's defense. I don't know that that was totally fair. Uh, I, I'll say this. Uh, in terms of like how does someone fit in with the modern NFL, you were talking about another Bears coach, Lovey Smith. You know, it used to be that if you hired a defensive coordinator to coach your team, you're not going to get rid of your, rid of your most high-profile defensive player. And that's exactly what the Bears did with Khalil Mack. So, um, you know, Akeem Hicks not there anymore either. I know he was getting older, but kind of an interesting setup. We'll see how he does. Uh, Atlanta Falcons at 26. We went with the veteran coach here, Arthur Smith. Um, I think you wanted to put him a little higher than this or no? Uh, You tell me on Arthur Smith because I have mixed feelings. Like, I love what he did with the Titans uh, a couple years ago when he was the OC there. But I didn't really like anything I saw from them last year. So what do you think? 
Well, I, I think you can say this in his favor. I mean, the game of both Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill really went up when he was there. I mean, Ryan Tannehill was known as, I don't want to call Ryan Tannehill a journeyman because that's not accurate, but I think he was looked at as a viable starter at best. A low-end starter, right? Yeah, and he became more than just a viable starter. He became a pretty effective starter, uh, at least his first two years there. I know last year was not a great year for Ryan Tannehill, but uh, look who wasn't there last year either arthur smith uh that said atlanta didn't look good last year uh, just plain and simple and when you're the head coach we can't just look at the offense we've got to look at everything and uh they were one of the weakest teams in the league so uh i think there's more to be said there same with dennis allen who takes Mm -hmm. over that's our number 25 guy new orleans saints what marcus and i liked about dennis allen is number one the saints defense has been really good the last couple years under his amazing I mean, some of the games that they've had, like against star quarterbacks, have been incredible. Stop talking. I want to speak for you. And then, uh, <laughs> so they go, Marcus and I think like you're not even on the podcast. That's all right. Go ahead. Uh, but it's hard, wouldn't you say, to hold Dennis Allen's Raiders experience against him at this point? given where the Raiders were at that time. Yeah, it's and, and that was so long ago. You're hoping that he kind of learned from how things went down there. I, I'm very optimistic about the Saints this year. I think they're going to be just fine with Dennis Allen. I really do. You know, I if memory serves, when Dennis Allen was with the Raiders, they were still trying to get out of camp purgatory and dead money, and they didn't really have the personnel that they kind of accumulated. And I'm talking about, uh, you know, Derek Carr developing, Amari Cooper uh, drafting him. And, Dennis and Allen he was really, really young as well. That, that's the other yes. thing. He might have been too young to take that job. And, and lastly, he's familiar with the team culture there. He's been there already. He's not mm-hmm. taking over a new team in a new city where you've got to uproot your kids and all that kind of stuff. I think that all plays to his advantage. Let's go ahead and switch it and go to 24 here. That's our, our, our final eight, our second, our second to last group of eight here, Miami at 24. Okay, so Mike McDaniel, Marcus, I know you're super high on him, but he hasn't done anything mm-hmm. yet. How do we gauge a guy like this? Because what he did in San Francisco was so unorthodox. Yeah, man, my only concern about him at all is what does the passing game look like in Miami? Not even talking about Tua, but because McDaniel's background is as a run coordinator, right? He was so good at designing the run game in San Francisco and a long time ago when he was in Denver. I just, I wondered a little bit, like when they need to open up the offense, they need to get a third and 11. Like, is he going to have complicated route combinations to get guys open. I don't know. But other than that, man, I think he's incredible. I, I, I think he's going to be a rising star in the league. Well, one thing they can hang their hat on, a couple things he can hang his hat on. Uh, you know, he had the best left tackle in football in San Francisco that he could always rely on. They did sign Teron Armstead, who may mm-hmm. not be the best left tackle, but probably top 10. Um, so you you have him there in Miami. You can argue that if you want, if you don't no, think Armstead's good. top 10. Um but also Tyreek Hill, you can run jet sweeps. And then they signed Chase Edmonds, and I really like that. And then they grabbed a former 49er, Raheem Mostert, who you're hoping for a high ceiling. If not, you're, you'll lean on Edmonds. But the one thing they don't have is they don't really have a Debo-like player. That's not Jalen Waddle. That's not Tyreek Hill. I don't think they're really going to be using Mike Gusecki in any kind of role like that. He's not really that kind of guy. Um, so I, if you're expecting Debo 2.0, I wouldn't in Miami. Uh, do you have any disagreement with that? No, but he'll figure it out. He'll find a way to get, to get the ball to his best players. 
So the one hire that Marcus and I really liked a lot, and we didn't really have any debate about, you know, brand new coaches was Brian Dayball with the New York Giants and <clears throat> did a great job in Buffalo. I think he's going to give Daniel Jones everything that he needs. And what I like here is you kind of find out what you've got. I think that's really what the Giants need to do with Daniel Jones anyway. And you've got a guy that's coming from a place where they developed a young quarterback and they overturned years of not having any success into great success. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Buffalo didn't make the playoffs from 2000 to 2016. Not one time did they make the playoffs. So um, I, I really love this hire. Yeah, as a, as a Cowboy fan, this is the one that makes me really nervous, right? And we couldn't really rank him any higher than 23 because he hasn't been a head coach before. But it wouldn't shock me that when we're doing this show at this time next year, he's inside our top 12. Like, I, I, I just think he's that good. I think the Giants got a good one. Uh, 22, the Raiders got a veteran head coach, Josh McDaniels, who uh, coached the Denver Broncos in 2009. And then he got fired, I want to say, God, was it six or eight games into 2010? Um, mm -hmm. he's been with the Rams as an assistant. He's, of course, a longtime Belichick assistant. And then, of course, famously, he last minute uh, reneged on the Colts job. Um, this is an unusual hiring in that this guy is so famous for being an offensive coordinator. What do you think happens? Put on your, your prognosticator hat. I think he's going to be really good. I, I just think people that are expecting them to win 11, 12, 13 games this year are going to be disappointed. Like it's going to take some time for Dave Ziegler, the new front office or the new GM and Josh McDaniels to kind of build their culture and get their players in. I expect them to be competitive this year, but 2023 is the year where I think they will be legitimate Super Bowl contenders. Hey, I'm, I'm all for it. I think the Raiders are, are a really solid team right now. I like the acquisitions they had. Uh, number 21 is Dan Campbell, the Lions. Now I'm not in love with the Lions offseason or anything. I, I think the Lions had a nice draft. But we both kind of wanted to put Dan Campbell a little bit higher. It's just hard because the Lions weren't really any good, but they fought so yep. hard last year with a team that was, what, bottom three roster in the league for sure. You could make the argument maybe even the worst roster in the league last year. They certainly were close to it. Um, make a case for Dan Campbell even higher than 21. Yeah, so we have 20 coaches ranked higher than Campbell, but I'm there's certainly not 20 coaches that would fit better in Detroit than Dan Campbell. Like I think or that he's players would want to play for. Exactly. He is the exact type of coach that you need when you're going through a rebuild, right? Because that team played their butt off last year and I think they started to build some positive momentum. I wouldn't be surprised this year if there's 7 to 8 wins. And then by the 2023 season is when we're really talking about them as a potential playoff team. But he's the exact type of leader, culture changer that they've been looking for, I mean, for, for a long time. Yeah, I, I agree with all those points. I, you know, I wouldn't have been totally opposed to putting him above Brandon Staley, who we have number 20 for the L.A. Chargers. Um, can kind of go both ways on, on yeah. him. You know, there's things yeah. that you like. There's, I like the way he's handled some questions. He also took a heck of a lot of risks last year, I, maybe too much, even for the analytics crowd. Mm -hmm. um, but this is kind of the year, man, because they have all the pieces. So if they don't make the playoffs, I think he's lower than 20. Yeah, all in all, I think it was still a pretty good year for Brandon Staley. I, I thought the process that he used and a lot of his fourth down decisions and a lot of his game planning things were all really good. 
but they just got to be better at the end of these games, right? They've got to be able to get stops on defense. He's a defensive-minded head coach. You got to be able to slow teams down at least a little bit in the run game. I, I understand that he doesn't value the run game as much as most people do, but you can't be as bad as you were last year. Yeah, his process was it's fourth down. Is it less than 19? Okay, we're going for it. Uh, all right, let's uh, talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, I'm moving you on from Brandon Staley. I can't let's have talk- your deep dive analysis of fourth down analytics. I, I'm not letting you do it. I'm not going to do it. Uh, actually, one of the things um, I admire about Staley is that he took some risks. But in my mind, the biggest risk you can take in any business that you're in is to look at the way you're doing things and say, you know what? I botched that deal. Mm-hmm. I'm going to change it up before I sink any more good money after bad. And I'm going to do things differently. And that's exactly what Nick Sirianni did midseason with Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. They utilized their strength, Marcus. They had a quarterback that was really scary with the ball in his hands running, make the defense play everybody and run the ball a heck of a lot more. It set everything up better for them. Time of possession, set up their passing game better, gave their defensive pass rushers a little bit more rest on the sideline. Uh, Nick Sirianni, you can make the case could be higher than this. Yeah, I need you to talk about Nick because I'm a little biased here because he's kind of a family friend. So go ahead. Well, uh, I will say this also, that I realize it's only been one year, but I think that the organization has given him the tools that he needs. Will he be able to necessarily change back? I think that's a key, too. When something starts working for you, so the way they approached it last year, it wasn't working and he changed it. But what about when something is working for you but then you change it up just to keep your opponent on their heels. And I think mm-hmm. that's going to be interesting because I don't know if we really know how good of thrower Jalen Hurts is. I mean, how many times have we seen the Eagles go out there and just wing it with Jalen Hurts? Even when they were throwing the ball right. early in the year, Marcus, a lot of it was safe stuff. And at some point, you got to let the kid let it rip, so to speak. Will Sirianni be willing to do that? I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's a big year for the passing game. They've got to be better in that area. If not, they made a big we'll have, trade to make it yeah, better. Yeah, I think we'll have some some questions about the entire coaching staff after this year. Also, I should mention year two of one of the best rookies in the league last year in Devontae Smith. Uh, that's mm-hmm. often a big step forward. We'll see what happens there. Okay, number 18. This is one that, that we thought about going lower, especially my colleague here. Uh, are we being unfair to Cliff Kingsbury? I really like Cliff as a hire when the Cardinals first did this. I was really excited. I thought I, I thought his offenses were really dynamic at Texas Tech. And I even thought the first couple of years, um, it was really exciting. But at the end of the, this trend of them falling off and just being so bad on offense in the second half of the season is really concerning. I kind of think this is the year where, I mean, they, they've got to get to the playoffs to win games or he might be gone. Yeah, I I think so, too. And as we've talked about on our podcast before, they looked awful against the Rams in the playoffs. This wasn't a team that just, you know, fell off at the end of the regular season and then, you know, made a run in the playoffs or even made it interesting. There was nothing interesting Mm -hmm. about that Cardinals-Rams game. That was the biggest snoozer of the postseason, for sure. Uh, Let's go to number 17, Tampa Bay. They expect to be back in the postseason. Might be an unusual spot, given how much success they've had, but uh, it's Todd Bowles. It's no longer Bruce Arians. I don't know if we're being unfair to Todd Bowles or not here. He's been a really good coordinator. I thought maybe we could have him higher. 2015, the Jets looked really good with him for most of the year. They fell apart against Buffalo, and then the next year they really fell apart. How do you gauge Todd Bowles at this point? 
Yeah, I think we could have even had him higher. This was my second favorite hiring behind Brian Dable with the Giants. I, I thought this was perfect for them, right? I think he's a no-nonsense head coach that the players love. He was already there. He's been successful. I, I, I think he's really, really good. And, the, you know, he was successful also as defensive coordinator with Arizona before he got mm-hmm. the Jets gig uh, with Bruce Arians. So um, I, I, I like the hire as well. Let's go. All right. Now we're at the top half of the league here, albeit at the bottom end. Number 16, the Washington Commanders. It's Ron Rivera. He's a former coach of the year winner. He's taken a team to the Super Bowl. Marcus hates him. And other than that, uh, he's doing a great job. Yeah, it's fun. 16 a little high for me, but it's fine. 16 is high. It's middle of the pack. What does okay. he do well? What does he do well, Elliot? I think I think he's a good voice for the organization. I think he's been a pretty good leader. I really liked – I'm just trying to uh, highlight the positives here because you're challenging me. I can go negative if we That's need fine. to. That's no, just fine. But a uh, year before last, Washington made the playoffs. Granted, they were 7-9. But they actually gave Tampa Bay the hardest time of any of the teams in the entire postseason. And they did it with Taylor Heineke. And mm-hmm. I think when you're a head coach, one of the biggest jobs you have is to make sure that that train stays on the tracks when you're playing a backup or a guy that wasn't expected to be your starter. you got to keep everybody on the program motivated. And let's be honest, they had a lot of things go wrong. Marcus, they didn't get anything out of Chase Young, their best player, got hurt. They didn't get anything out of Curtis Samuel, who got hurt. Um, you know, and then obviously the quarterback position didn't work out. They thought they were going to have Ryan Fitzpatrick. That didn't work out. I don't know. Give him a chance. What's that saying? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Yeah. All right. Kevin Stefanski at 15. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Tell me how he's so much better than Ron Rivera. I'm ready. Uh, I actually think Stefanski could be in the top 10. I I think he's an incredible coach. Um, No, I know last year the situation was not great. He's playing with different quarterbacks and a banged up quarterback, but I think his scheme is great. I think he relates well to players. Uh, That team won a playoff game despite like 30 players being on the COVID list uh, against the Steelers in 2020. I just think he's really good. Okay, if you juxtapose him with someone like Sean McVay, who's next on our list, just kidding. Uh, But if you juxtapose him with Sean McVay, Sean McVay got a quarterback in Jared Goff to play really well, who didn't play well for Jeff Fisher and looked so-so with Detroit, okay? Hmm? Um, Kevin Stefanski didn't really get Baker Mayfield to play that well last year, and that all got put on Baker, even though Baker was hurt. Odell Beckham did not play well for Cleveland, and he goes to the Rams, and he's outstanding. Doesn't some of that land on Stefanski's shoulders? And I actually have a lot of respect for Stefanski, especially how they played the Raiders so tight late in the year with, like, half their team gone. Yeah, and Nick Mullins, who was on the team for, like, nine days, started and almost won that game. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is I, I can't say this about a lot of these coaches, but it's a big year for Stefanski, um, even – the, you know, even if Deshaun Watson doesn't play, but I, I think they're going to be fine. I think he's got them in a r- the right direction. Remember, uh, where this team was after Hugh Jackson, after Freddie Kitchens, they got them to the playoffs and they won a playoff game and they were competitive last year. And they're still the favorites to win the AFC North this year. Like, just in a matter of two or three years, he's got this team to be competent on the field. That's a big step up. I like. Uh, I don't know why. Whenever I say the word half. I say it like Bert and Ernie. I, like, do you have any <laughs> words like that that you just literally don't sound like yourself when you use them? 
I don't know if you do. Another thing I love there about your analysis is I love it when someone gives analysis and they literally think as, of as many predecessors as they can. So you, you start naming the Browns. Well, like, I, I mean, listen, Hugh Jackson has the worst record in the history yeah. of coaching. It, it's, it, I mean, you take that and you, now you have a some, you know, somewhat competitive team, a playoff contender for the last three years. It's not bad. I know. I was just kind of waiting for you to be like, you know, after Forrest Gregg, after Sam Ritigliano, after Marty Schottenheimer, after, after Bud Carson, e- after, after Eric Mangini, listen, <laughs> after I- Bill Belichick, <laughs> after Butch Davis, who am I missing? Who am I missing? Uh, uh, Chris Palmer. Oh, who who is the the Packers defense coordinator now? Uh, or uh, Mike? What was his name? Patton. Mike Patton. Yeah. Wait, who was the Browns coach when they got back in the league in '99? It wasn't Butch Davis. In 99, it was Chris yeah, Palmer, they, Chris Palmer, right? It was Chris Palmer, right. Okay, and then it went to Butch Davis. Then Terry Robitsky, then Romeo Cornell. Yeah, Butch Davis is the one that got him to the playoffs with um, uh, yeah. their backup quarterback in 02. Yeah, Pat Shermer yeah. in there a little bit. Remember him? Yeah, Bruce Arians was a coordinator. Tim Couch was a starter, and he got replaced by – all right, we're going way Rob too – Rob Chudzinski. Yep, keep going. Let's, let's move on to the next team. <laughs> yeah. Colts, uh, Frank Reich. I think this is the right spot for Frank Reich, kind of near the middle of the pack. I think he's done some nice things, but again, you can't put that entire debacle—the last game of the season uh, against the Jags—on the quarterback Carson Wentz. Some of that's got to fall on Frank Reich. Uh, I think he's got a team to go deep in the playoffs. They need to make the playoffs this year. Uh, and I'll go one step further. If they don't, if they don't win p- multiple playoff games. I think you could move on from Frank Reich. I, I, I really do. They just have not been successful at all in the playoffs. I think they've been a little bit underwhelming considering the talent level. I think he needs to win playoff games to keep his job. It, the only way I would say no on that is if they get a bye and they win the divisional round and they lose the AFC championship, then then no. But otherwise, I pretty much agree. We're with going you into year five right now, and he's got one playoff win. All right, calm down. Uh, that's right. And that was in his first year when they yeah. beat Houston in the wild card uh, with Andrew Luck. And then they went mm-hmm. to Kansas City and got beat. Okay, uh, Zach Taylor for the Cincinnati Bengals. Maybe a hair unfair that we have in this low, given that he got the Bengals or partially got the Bengals to the Super Bowl. But two pretty underwhelming seasons before that. So mm-hmm. I think it, we're both kind of taking a wait-and-see approach. Yeah, I, I thought last year there was times where he was a little too conservative considering the talent that he had on offense. But when you go 10 and 7 and you win multiple playoff games, you got to rank him high. Um, but again, his, he was 6 and 25 going into last season. Not I need great. to quit. I need to quit hitting my table here because it shakes the camera. And that's what they used to do on the Star Trek. Whenever the ship would get hit by something, they would just shake the camera and everyone would <laughs> act like they're bracing. Yeah, it's really great. All right. Uh, Jacksonville at 12 because of Doug Peterson. I'm so not used to having Jacksonville anywhere near the top of our ranking ever (laughs) that I have to just say Jacksonville 12. But we put Doug Peterson here kind of in honor of what he did in Philadelphia. They had the Super Bowl run. The next year they came back. Carson Wentz was hurt, didn't play that well. Nick Foles gets in late in the year. They go on a run. They could have very easily beaten the Saints in the divisional round that year, had an Alshon Jeffrey drop. Um, Not a great end to Doug Peterson's tenure in Philadelphia, but there was a lot of questions about what was going on between management and him uh, late in the year. Are we too high on him, though, given the way his tenure ended? Yeah, I think we might be a little bit too high on him. Only one year in his career, his team has had 
more than nine wins in a season. Uh, I think he obviously gets a lot of credit for that Super Bowl run, but the rest of his career has been very, eh, um, feels a little high. Well, you can't say this. You can't say this about Doug Peterson. Um, the Eagles were not in a good spot when he took over for Chip Kelly. Uh, the other thing, too, is he got the best play out of Carson Wentz. Well, hold on. So, I, that's That was the argument that I used for Kevin Stefanski, and you poo-pooed it. So wait, I just, just want to be clear here what you're doing. Because I enjoy poo-pooing things, uh, including the next one that I was not as high on this guy. This is more of a Marcus Mosher special oh, uh, with a side of pancakes and uh, cinnamon rolls, although you can't get cinnamon rolls in L.A. If you want to go back to our it's previous conversation, so frustrating. Well, not good <laughs> ones anyway. Uh, Mike McCarthy at 11, too high. This is Why? what I will say is too high. Why? Really? Uh, I mean, where do, you, where, where do you want me to start? Go wherever you want to. Okay. When is the last time Mike McCarthy won a really significant postseason game? I mean, okay, keep going. Okay, number two. <laughs> this is my biggest argument, and you know where I'm going with this. Multiple times last year, I saw him address his team at least twice. So I'm using multiple in place of twice. It's my prerogative as the host. Uh, that he blamed the refs partially for the Cowboys um, not playing well. And I've never known a good coach in my life that's ever done that multiple times. I remember one time seeing Jimmy Johnson say to reporters that it was the worst officiated game he'd ever been a part of. But the first thing he said is we lost the game. We lost. Then he said, it was also the worst officiated game I've ever seen. That's my biggest problem with Mike McCarthy. And I also give more credit to the coordinators. So if you want to give credit to Mike McCarthy for hiring those coordinators, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, Mike McCarthy has nine seasons of double-digit wins. They did win uh, multiple playoff games in 2016. Um, okay. I, I, you want to review the personnel, the 2016 Packers? But, but hold on. No, no, I don't want to do me. that. I, I just... He's got a career winning percentage of 60%. Like if you have Mike McCarthy as your coach, pretty good bet that you're going to win 10 games every season. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. Yeah, what's just... hysterical to me is that Ted Thompson used to get bashed. And Ted Thompson did more for those Packers teams, I think, than Mike McCarthy did. Uh, how many teams would sign up right now if I told you, hey, you're going to go 10 and 7 every year that you have this coach? How many teams would sign up for that? Yes, if there was a little asterisk at the bottom of that that said, with Aaron Rodgers in tow. Oh, sorry. Uh, Seattle Seahawks at number 10. Pete Carroll. Um, this one, you could make an argument to go higher or lower. It hasn't been great the last couple of years. I feel like Pete Carroll's, the luster of his career is dimmed a little bit. Uh, or you wouldn't say a luster is dimmed. It has been uh, muddied. I don't know. Sure. Guffed, dirtied. How do we look at Pete Carroll right now? I mean, first of all, I, I think Pete Carroll's headed to the Hall of Fame. I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It should. But, but if we're talking about here and now, a James Ingram song from the 80s, I, I don't know that Pete Carroll belongs in the top 10. Yeah, this one's tough because what he did earlier in his career, like in the early 2010s with Seattle, was incredible. But the last couple of years, he's kind of looked like a dinosaur in the NFL with some of his philosophies and team building stuff. And it's kind of torpedoed that franchise into a bad spot where, I mean, they're one of the three least talented teams in the league going into the season. And a lot's because of the way that they've wanted to build their team. So I think we're putting him here based on what he's done in the past. 
but I let's, there's 15, 20 coaches that I would take over him going into the season if I just needed to win one game. You know, I think before August hits, we should do a Tuesday pod where we rank the rosters mm-hmm. because I think Seattle might be parked at 32. Uh, they're going to be really close to it. Um, Atlanta, Atlanta and uh, Seattle pulling up that final spot, right? It's probably, I mean, Carolina's not going to be that far behind. I mean, we, we could... We'll I, do like that. Said, we should, like we that. should do a pot on that. But in terms of, of Pete Carroll, he's a, he's a hard guy to gauge. But what I will say is one indication of a good head coach is how hard his team plays for him. Seattle plays hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, how often do you see Seattle get blown out by anybody? We were even saying the other day on our podcast, they're probably going to be good for seven wins this year just because. And that comes down to corp, to organizational culture, which we talk about with the Ravens a lot. And I think Seattle has had it. Uh, in spades, really, um, for a while now, that they have been more competitive than they should be at times. So, um, like I said, a difficult one to rank. I should mention, if I'm saying we're too high on Pete Carroll and Mike McCarthy and Doug Peterson and Kevin Stefanski, then who would move up in their place? And maybe Zach Taylor would be one that should have been a little higher on this list. And this is why we think like Zach Taylor and Brian Dable and Mike McDaniel and Josh McDaniels could all rise up this list pretty quickly by the end of the season. Maybe even, hey, I'm going to give a small little vote for Dennis Allen here. Sure. And and also Todd Bowles, who we mentioned. Uh, Number nine, so Matt LaFleur for Green Bay, great start to his career. What are you smirking about? This is one I think we're a little too high on, but go ahead. Okay. Um, I thought I called him Greg Kittle or something, the way no. you were smirking. So, um, I, how do you rank him lower, though? I mean, if you're going to say Mike McCarthy belongs where he does, how can we say Lafleur belongs lower? Because Lafleur is more successful over the last few years than McCarthy's been. But, but your argument for McCarthy is, well, what has he done in the playoffs? What has what has Matt Lafleur done in the playoffs? They've been the number one seed in you know each of the last three years, and they've lost at home. You know they've they've fallen on their face, and they've been awful in some of these playoff games. Like the 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 offensive display that they had against San Francisco was horrendous. Right? It was. I I mean I know the regular season's record's really good, but when we're getting inside the top ten, you better be able to do something in the playoffs when you're at home in every game. No, that's fair. It's kind of interesting, though, because you don't really hold the 49ers loss against Mike McCarthy, and we know you don't hold the 49ers loss against the Cowboys quarterback. We've already no, established no, no. It's, that. It's not, it's, not, yeah. it's not. I'm talking about when you're the number one seed and you've got two weeks to prepare and your offense puts up 10 points. Yeah, I think the Cowboys had every advantage that Green Bay had at home Uh quite frankly, but you know, I mean, you've got green Bay where you're used to playing in the cold weather for a West coast team. And you put up 10 points. Hey, I'm, I'm fine with okay. blaming Lafleur for that. And I'm fine if you don't want to blame McCarthy, but then what about the quarterback? Okay, well, what about Aaron Rodgers? Is Aaron Rodgers played well? Right. He, he, no, I and, know. I'm just, and just people mentioned out. people said Aaron Rodgers played bad against San Francisco, but people don't want to say that about somebody else. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh. I've said that Dak did not play well, but go ahead. Keep. Let's get to the top eight. I can't. Ben DiNucci? No, not him. He's Quite got a new clothing line out, by the way. Anthony Wright. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Courtney. Uh, okay. Appreciate it. Now that we've launched off of Marcus's bias, let's launch into another one. Uh, Marcus 
doesn't really like the Bills. So for him to give Whoa. Sean McDermott even this nod, I mean, you think they're a good team. You just kind of root against them, I've noticed. Um, so Sean McDermott, another guy I think we could have maybe had a spot or two higher. I like the Bills. I I, I love Sean McDermott. I think he's a really good coach. I, I I think he's gotten that team to play well above their heads. I just think the quarterback can be a little bit overrated at times. But, I mean, in his five years with Buffalo, four winning seasons, last three years, yeah. they've won double-digit games. I think he's very good. You bet. They got in the playoffs his first year, 2017. They need a little help at the end of the year from, uh, what, Tyler Boyd, I believe, on a yeah. fourth down, and they got it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they, they lost to Jacksonville. And then in 2018, when they didn't make the playoffs, I was like, oh, no. Is, was that just an aberration? Mm-hmm. Clearly not, because they've been really, really competitive. Obviously, the the quarterback position is a big part of it. I am a little concerned about Brian Dayball leaving and then having Ken Dorsey uh, in his spot. But Ken Dorsey was the QB coach there. And I trust Sean McDermott at this point, given his track record. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin at number seven. Uh, another guy that that elicits a lot of different responses. Another guy that Marcus bags on, and then we start doing this, and you wanted to put him in the top five. So, uh, I think you just get tired of a stat with Mike Tomlin. Is that fair? Yeah, I I, I could care less about how many straight non losing seasons he's had because that's not the goal, Elliot. Yeah. Since two thousand eleven. They've won three playoff games, and that's yeah. with having a really good defense and having maybe a Hall of Fame quarterback and having some good receivers. Like They just don't win in the playoffs very often. In the last couple of years, 9-8, 12 wins in 2020, and then nine wins in 2021, and then they get blown off the field in the playoffs against much lesser quarterbacks like Bortles, Baker Mayfield, uh, Patrick Mahomes they gave up 49 points to. I don't know. I like that much lesser quarterbacks than you. Except for him, I was thinking. Listen, they they gave up forty-two to Bortles. Was it forty-five to Baker Mayfield and forty-nine to Patrick Mahomes? I think you're doing a great job. Thank you. So, I uh, was it the 2016 AFC Championship that they played at uh, New England, and they just won. Yeah, 2016. No, they didn't. 2016 season. Yeah, 2016 season, yes. And, you know, they've got Antonio Brown at the height of his game. They've got Ben Roethlisberger, who wasn't great, but was still a viable quarterback, obviously. And they got Le'Veon Bell at the height of his game, and they laid an egg. They, I don't even remember that game being competitive. It, it, it was long. going into the final three minutes of that game, it was 36-9. to nine. Yeah. To me, that's the game that I circle that uh, for Pittsburgh. Um can, can I give you one more thing? Sure, sure, sure. Since since 2011, here are the quarterbacks the Steelers have have beaten in the playoffs: Matt Moore, who was backing up Ryan Tannehill against the Dolphins; Alex Smith, kind of at the end of his career with the Chiefs; and then can you name the other one? The three quarterbacks the Steelers have beaten in the playoffs since 2011: mm-hmm. Matt Moore. Yeah, I remember Alex that Moore. Miami. Yep, and then uh, Alex uh, Smith. AJ McCarron, and they what? should have lost that chance. Well, I, I was going you're... through my divisions. That's right. AJ McCarron, and they should have lost that game. They should have well. lost that game. They, doggone right, they should have lost that game. It's just um, it's really not the, not impressive resume for Tomlin. The only impressive win I would say out of that group, the Kansas City win was pretty impressive. Kansas City had a good team that year. I think that was 2016, also. Mm-hmm. It was, and yep. uh, 
wasn't that the Eric Fisher uh, like putting James Harrison basically holding him around the helmet on a two point conversion that would have tied yeah. the game. Yep. 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 Okay. Let's go to number six. Speaking of the Patriots, former Patriots, uh, maybe not great, but very good player. Mike Vrabel. This is one of Marcus's favorite coaches in the league. If not your favorite, did you want to put Mike Vrabel a little higher than this? Yeah, I did. I think I might've put him at number five, but this yeah. is a good spot for him. I, I, I love Vrabel. What he did with that team last year, Considering all the injuries they had in the secondary, Derrick Henry getting hurt, AJ Brown battling through injuries. They were the number one seed in the AFC. And I know they laid an egg, but my goodness, that team fought like crazy. And I, they didn't like lay a huge egg. You know, that was a really close game yeah. against a team that proved itself worthy. And, you know, if it weren't for a couple horrible calls, maybe would have won the Super Bowl. Um, Ryan Tannehill didn't play particularly well. The offensive line did not play particularly well, very inconsistent. They didn't really get anything out of the wide receiver put position outside of A.J. Brown. It seemed like everything that could go wrong did, but when you're a great coach, you get other areas of your team to elevate when another group is not playing well. So if it's got to be the special teams, if it's the defense, whatever it is, um, they were able to do that, and so I give him a lot of credit. And, and his players seem to really play for him. So I, I'm with you there. I wanted Kyle Shanahan at number five. I think Marcus would have swapped these. Mm -hmm. Why would you swap them? And what do you like about Kyle Shanahan? I mean, I think Kyle Shanahan's one of the smartest offensive minded coaches in the league. It's just, it hasn't always resulted in wins. He's got a career record of 39 and 42 as a coach. I know the first couple of years, they really struggled to even find a competent quarterback, but still, I think there's too many regular season games where they kind of no show. Um, but still, his offenses are so dynamic. They get in the playoffs and they win games. He's come so close as an offensive coordinator and as a head coach to winning Super Bowls that you have to have him high. I mean, to me, they had no business, no business uh, being in the NFC Championship game last year. The opponents, the quality of opponents they beat, Dallas, in Dallas, there's nothing fluky about that game. Yep. The, the end of the game sequence is so famous. That was a desperation drive. Oh, yeah. They, they, they kicked Dallas's butt, for no yes. doubt. And then, uh, and they play the style of football, Marcus, where they're not going to win a lot of games 48 to 10. Nope. They're not trying to track me yet. They're, they're getting ahead 23 to 7 on you, and they're running the ball, and they're playing clock ball on you, and they're not going to make any mistakes to give you chances. That can be just as demoralizing mm -hmm. as a 40 to 10 loss. 2019. They get the top seed by going into Seattle and beating Seattle at their place, and they make it all the way to the Super Bowl. And if it wasn't for some very mediocre uh, play from the quarterback in the fourth quarter, they probably win that game. Any disagreement? Nope, not at all. I, I think this is a good spot for him. Yeah. Okay, number four is John Harbaugh. Mark is officially back in on Ravens culture. Uh, you wanted this in a cleanup spot, and I agreed. We talked about this one for literally two seconds. He's got eight seasons of double-digit wins or more. His worst season ever was in 2015, where they had five wins. Other than that, eight wins or more in every season. I, I just think they're so disciplined. They, they're really good on special teams. They've got a brand of football that they want to play. It's tough to put them lower than four. They've had a ton of bad luck uh, with injuries. Uh, them and the Chargers have probably had the most guys go 
you know, on IR or, or out for the season over the last five or six years. And tough luck in the plot is to say tough luck in the playoffs too, with like Derek Mason dropping that ball in the end zone, right? Oh, the the Billy Cundiff miss from thirty two yeah. in the twenty eleven AFC championship. Um that year, twenty fifteen, I think they set an NFL record that year for most one score losses or something like that. Um, they were not bad. And then also good out of the gate. His first year in Baltimore, they went all the way to the AFC Championship game and uh, at Heinz Field. They played a, a really good Pittsburgh team that year, and they did it with a rookie quarterback, a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback. Mm. Pretty doggone impressive. Uh, number three, Sean McVay, Los Angeles Rams. You could argue for him higher. We've talked about whether or not he's overrated. Is he maybe underrated? Does he deserve to be number one? I don't know if you can go number one yet, but... Man, number two, maybe. I mean, his worst season ever was nine and seven in 2019. To won a Super Bowl, was a couple plays away from winning another Super Bowl. He's done it with multiple quarterbacks. I he's and he's only 35 years old. I I just think he's amazing. Plus, he has total control over that team. Like he helps call plays on defense. He runs the offense. He calls plays. I mean, he he's he's really everything you would want in a head coach. Everything is form fitting. Uh, I mean, Ben Sherman shirts won't fit. That's for sure. Uh, you know what I'm doing today that you've pointed out Sean McVay would never do. Remember when we saw the coaches picture, you know, where they take the league meetings mm-hmm. and you were talking about Sean McVay's outfit. Yep. I'm wearing white sneakers right now that are like, they're all dirty. Oh, Sean never. McVay would never, never. be caught. Never. You would, the, the Izod would be perfect. The little alligator would be perfectly clean. Although, I don't really know if Sean McVay, like outside of a football setting, is a you know sneaker guy. He's probably more of a flip flop guy. I could kind of see just kind of that, that's the vibe I get from Sean McVay, but still, number three flip flop, but more like $165 lovers. Oh, yeah, like we're talking like Gucci flip flops. Like, yeah, we're talking about flip flop guy. Now, Andy Reid, our number two, is a flip-flop guy. I guarantee it. Andy Reid's probably wearing cargo shorts with a Hawaiian shirt and true flip-flops right now. The old school ones, the ones with the black bottoms, and they just have like the color color stem, mm-hmm. and that's it. That's all you get, you know. Um, this was pretty easy for us as well. I, You know, I do – I don't think we need to rehash Andy Reid's entire career. Took Philadelphia uh, job in 99 and had incredible success ever since then. Really only one bad year, 2012, his last year in Philly. But I said we wouldn't rehash his career, and I just did it in like whatever, 12 seconds. But I I think this year is going to be a real litmus test for him because with Tyreek Hill gone, that offense doesn't quite have the same dimension that it did and with Tyron Matthew gone, who's kind of a leader on defense, I don't know. Do they do they slip back to the pack? Are they a ten and seven ball club, especially in that division? No, because that's really never been Andy Reid. Do you realize that he's been in Kansas City for nine years now? It's kind yeah. of kind of hard to believe. And his worst season ever was nine and seven. Twenty thirteen, uh, right? Twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. Yeah, twenty thirteen. They were eleven and five. Excuse me. They'll be fine. I, he's so good. And he's got this team so locked in that they're going to win 12 games, even though the schedule is incredibly tough. They don't have Tyreek Hill. It's just what he does. They're going to go 12 and five, 13 and four and be just fine. I give him a lot of credit for resilience too. that that 2016 loss um, to the Steelers in the playoffs. That was a rough loss. The one on the two point play. Mm -hmm. 
Then the next year, they were the top seed, or they had a home game, and Tennessee went in there and beat them, shocked them. And then the next year, they lost when D Ford lined up in the neutral zone. Those were tough losses to mm-hmm. get over, and they did, and they won the Super Bowl. And it's it's certainly not all on the quarterback. Not to mention, hey, uh, Alex Smith last year in Kansas City led the league in passer rating. To bail on Alex Smith and with respect, but then go to Patrick Mahomes, that took some guts, man. Yep, I, he's incredible. He, he's he's an awesome coach. And if I was choosing a coach to coach my team, probably would be Andy Reid because I think players absolutely love to play for him. But he's not the best coach in the league because that guy is at number one for us. Yeah. So Bill Belichick, um, you know, what I'll say here, I know that Bill Belichick is known for his Patriots dynasty and stuff. But if we go beyond that for a moment, at the New York Giants, Bill Belichick was a great assistant coach. He was there mm-hmm. for 12 years. He was their special teams coach and really good at it. That's how he got promoted to defensive coordinator in 1985. 86, their defense leads him to the Super Bowl. 1990, his last year in New York, they faced one of the best offenses ever in Super Bowl history, and they shut them down. They won mm-hmm. that game 20 to 19. The defensive game plan that Bill Belichick put together to stop the Bills is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame because it was so impressive at the time. <clears throat> so you have that. Then people look at the Cleveland era. You know, he did get Cleveland to the playoffs in 94. Mm-hmm. And in 95, Art Modell announced in the middle of the year that they were going to go to Baltimore. Well, that's going to derail any team with that hanging over your head. And so sometimes I feel like his Cleveland tenure is not really looked at fairly. Everybody knows the New England history. And lastly, I would say I thought he did a really nice job with Mac Jones. I know they faltered a little bit at the end of the year, but they were they were in the hunt the whole year. How many times do you think his defenses as a head coach or a defensive coordinator have finished inside the top two in points per game? Well, they did at least, I would say at least three times when he's with the Giants. I'll go once with Cleveland. That's four. And I'm going to go another at least five times with New England. So I'll go nine. 12 times his defense has been inside the top two. 12 times. The, the, the worst season he's ever had was 1995 when they were 20th in points per game. He's never been that's, worse than that. Bro, that's the year. That's mm-hmm. the year that Art Modell announced in, I want to say, early November that they were moving to Baltimore, and it derailed that team. They were, at one point, that Browns team, I think, was like four and three, if you look at the 95 Browns, and look where they finished. Yep. That's what happened. Um, they were a pretty give- strong. Ninety-four. One last thing. Seventeen mm-hmm. seasons his defenses have finished inside the top five in points per game. That's unbelievable. That's 17 unbelievable. Seventeen times. Uh, I mean, really, really, and he's done it. Wasn't one of those years with Cleveland, the ninety-four team? Uh, yep, nineteen ninety-four. They finished number one. Yep. Yeah. So in points per game or yards? In points per game, he did it. Uh, he he finished first in points per game three different times with New England, once with Cleveland, and once with the Giants. All right, trivia for you. No looking, no looking. Who was Bill Belichick's defensive coordinator on that 94 Browns team? Saban. That is correct. Nick Saban yeah. with some big Van Heusen glasses. Mm-hmm. Totally yeah. not, totally not the slick Nick Saban now. You know, these were like your mom's accountant's oh, yeah. glasses. Yep. What, by the way, have you noticed, when did my voice get like Tony Romo's? Like, uh, and I, <clears throat> 
Our I think that's a good podcasts, sign that the podcast will probably need to wrap up, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I am. It's been the last few weeks. I apologize if I have not been a good listen to everybody. I don't know why my voice is just giving out so much. I think too many phone calls. That's probably the deal. But um, that's our uh, our list. You want to just rehash it real quick? Thirty two down to one. Sure, that's not a problem at all. Uh, at number thirty two, we've got our guy Matt Rule. Uh, 31, Kevin O'Connell, 30, Levy Smith, 29, Robert Sala, 28, Nathaniel Hackett, 27, Matt Eberflus, 26, Arthur Smith, 25, Dennis Allen, 24, Mike McDaniel, 23, Brian Dable, 22, Josh McDaniels, 21, Dan Campbell, 20, Brandon Staley, 19, Nick Sirianni, 18, Cliff Kingsbury, 17, Todd Bowles, 16, your guy, Ron Rivera, at number 15, my guy, Kevin Stefanski, uh, Kevin or Frank Wright at 14, Zach Taylor at 13, Doug Peterson at 12, Mike McCarthy criminally underrated at number 11, oh Pete Carroll at 10, Matt LaFleur at 9, Sean McDermott at 8, Mike Tomlin at 7, Mike Frable at 6, Kyle Shanahan at 5, John Harbaugh at 4, Sean McVay at 3, Andy Reid at 2, and of course, Bill Belichick at number 1. I will say one of the, the guy I'm probably the most curious about this year, just because he hasn't been talked about very much, is Dennis Allen. He, I, I don't think we've talked about very much that Sean Payton has been there for 16 years. It'll be really interesting to see if they're a playoff team or not. But as always, I give you the last word. I always like to look uh, ahead to who could be the next great head coach and who's a guy that could be, you know, a hot name in the cycle, you know, the coaching cycle next year. I'm keeping an eye on Ken Dorsey. Uh, who is now the offensive coordinator in Buffalo. I want to see how he does, you know, try to replicate that Brian Dable offense. It sounds like Dorsey was the guy that Josh Allen really connected with when he was there. If he has a really good season, don't be surprised if Ken Dorsey's a head coach next year. It's mm, a hot take. It's a real hot take. Fresh out of the oven. You can uh, get more of those if you listen to Locked on Cowboys. You can get hot takes on who's going to be the backup Weak side linebacker in training camp. <laughs> I, Probably I, Devin Harper. <laughs> I, I know. I feel for you and Landon because it has got to be such – it's so thin right now, you know, in June. It's just that time of, time yeah, of year tough. in the NFL. So, uh, But uh, they do a great job over there. Give Landon a follow as well as Marcus. And then also he covers the Raiders for USA Today. I'm at Harrison NFL on Twitter. We thank Courtney and Eric and Herbert and all the good folks at Brinks. And we will see you guys uh, later. We do our free-flowing podcast on Friday, maybe Thursday. I have to figure it out with Mr. Lazy over here. We can talk to you later. Bye.